This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me, and today we're going to hear from Zach Seward. He's the co-founder and now the owner of Quartz. I have been long overdue in talking to Zach. He's one of the more thoughtful people in digital media, so I'm glad we get to share this conversation with you, and it's also about perseverance and renewal, so that's a good tone setter for 2021. Before we get to that, though, some thank yous. I usually do this at the end of the episodes, but maybe you don't hear those. So let's do this one at the top. I want to say thanks to our sponsors who let you hear this show for free. Thanks to Joel Robbie who edits this show, which is a lot tougher to do in the pandemic because sometimes our audio is not so good for these pandemic interviews. And Joel makes it sound a whole lot better. Thank you, Joel. Special thanks to Jelani Carter who produces this show. Also much more difficult to do since March. There's flaky guests and bad broadband and emergency pods and pods that shouldn't be emergencies, but we did it the last minute anyway. I think that I have spent more time with Jelani in 2020 than any other adult human. So that alone should qualify him for a raise and some time off. And thanks to you guys. We are always appreciative of our audience. And if you spent time with us this year, we are extra appreciative because we know you have a lot going on. Please keep telling us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of, less of. We're doing this so you can hear it. So it should be something you want to hear. And your feedback means so much. Thanks. Uh, Happy New Year. It is going to be better than the old year. Be safe and be well. And now here's my conversation with Zach Seward. The person you hear laughing uh, at my expense is Zach Seward, who is the CEO of Quartz. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Peter. Always happy to laugh at your expense. Yeah, no, it's uh, as you should. I was rude to you when you were an intern at Forbes, so you definitely deserve the last laugh. there's a long history of Quartz that starts in 2012 when it was uh, Atlantic Media sort of uh, created it. You were the co-founder there. It was then sold to Usabase in 2018. It's a Japanese media company most folks here have never heard of. And you are now the CEO and owner of the publication again. It's a long history, but let's let's do the recent history first. This fall, you announced that you have bought the publication back from its last owner, but you're not going to be the owner yourself, right? You're trying to go get investors to sort of stand up the publication? Well, so Catherine Bell, Quartz's editor-in-chief, and I conducted a management buyout and uh, bought bought the company from uh, from Usabase. So we share ownership. Uh, I'm the majority owner. And, and now we're also going out uh, and, and seeking uh, additional investment uh, from, from others. So we'll 
We'll have a number of owners uh, after we complete that fundraising round. So you're in the midst of fundraising as we're speaking. What is your pitch to an investor in, in 2020 for funding Quartz? There's a lot of skepticism and negativity about, about media and online media in general. Um, you've got a publication that had a bunch of uh, interest at, at the beginning, um, was sold for a decent amount um, in 2018. You've got an owner, you, you're, the last owner said, I don't want this publication anymore. What are you telling investors today about Quartz's future? In, in eight years, we've, we've built something rare in digital media, which is a strong new brand with a really dedicated, loyal audience uh, following our coverage of, of business, global business news and have uh, built both a great advertising and now in the last two years, great subscription business on top of that brand and, and loyalty and see a really clear path to making it a sustainable business going forward. So is Quartz going to be a, and it's, I think if you just answered it, but is the idea that Quartz is, is Quartz had started off as an ad-based business. When user-based bought it, they said, we'd like to make this a subscription business. You guys went ahead and started doing that. Um, lots of people are trying to figure out how to uh, sell subscriptions online. Um, will subscriptions be sort of the dominant uh, revenue source for you guys in, in, your, in the future you're imagining? Yes, but I should be clear, I think that future when subscription revenue equals uh, is as big as our as our advertising revenue is still many years off and five or more years off uh, but but sure you know over the long run we, we want to have a really healthy distribution of uh, of revenue streams uh, across advertising and subscription and then even within those two categories there's already quite a few different revenue lines that we've we've got going and plan to expand over those next five years so again, before we go back to the, the beginning of Quartz, let's go back to 2018, 2019, and 2020. Userbase bought you. They said, we want to make this a subscription business. You guys went ahead and did that. Um, a lot of people are trying to do that. Um, what didn't happen for you um, over the last couple of years? Why did Userbase decide, we can't make a go of this? Well, first, what, what did happen, is, as you just said, is, is accelerating Quartz's move into reader revenue and the launch of our membership program. We were always planning to to go into subscription, but the acquisition definitely accelerated those plans. I think the deal with Usebase closed in, on August 1st, 2018, and, and we la launched the membership program two months later. And I, I think that's the best, biggest uh, takeaway from the last two years. I'm glad that happened. I wish it happened two years prior, because um, it really helped strengthen the, the business that we have now. But what didn't happen, I mean, I guess, it, in short, Usabase was hoping to recreate the model that had been successful for it in Japan. We've got a news aggregation app in, uh, in Japan called NewsPix that, uh, that tried to apply the, pretty much the exact same model to courts in terms of like, the product experience and uh, trying to create a, a community of, of our readers that in the end, I think was pretty forced uh, strategy, didn't work as well as uh, as they had hoped. Uh, and then uh, then along came this pandemic and uh, that challenged our advertising business this year uh, and, and then ultimately challenged Usabase's ability to be in this for the long haul and prompted them to start looking for alternatives. And at what point did you raise your hand and say, actually, I'll buy this thing? 
uh, and all find investors was that was that always something you thought you might do, or was it after they had tried to find another home for it and, and couldn't? It was sort of in the middle of that process. I think at some point this summer, as we started planning for 2021, it, you know, it became clear that the user base wasn't going to uh, put up the the kind of investment that that we felt was necessary to carry the business forward, and that prompted uh, an M and A process to look for so-called strategic alternatives, put them in air quotes. And uh, there was there was interest from a number of uh, parties and, and somewhere in the middle there, Catherine and I raised our hand and then asked that uh, UserBase consider us as one of the suitors as well. And obviously that that's what happened. It's funny to talk about risk in 2020, right? It's a pretty loaded word, but I'm assuming it would be less risky for you if uh, a, a strategic buyer had bought had bought quartz from you as a base instead of you sort of sticking your neck out and saying, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out how to finance this this thing myself." What what is the decision process for you? Sort of, I'm assuming this is multiple days and nights of thinking. Do I really want to do this? Um, there are easier way easier things to do in life than to buy back a publication uh, in 2020. Can you sort of walk me through sort of your mindset? Sure. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. <laughs> it would have been less risky personally to uh, for to find some other buyer for quartz. And so, yeah, I and I'm sure Catherine did something similar. I had to go through a process of, you know, I right, put nearly a decade into uh, into this so far. Am I ready to do another decade? Well, how much do I believe in this brand and our our ability to to make the business model work? And I wanted to be real with myself because then I have to turn around and be real with our employees and our forthcoming investors. And obviously, you know, after all about I probably had a week to do all of that introspection. After that week long uh, introspection came came up with uh, yeses to all those all those answers. I've, I I love courts and I believe really deeply in what we're trying to do here. And when you make that jump, um, did you, I, I know that the user base, uh, was it user base or the user base's CEO personally has, has sort of lent you money as a sort of bridge loan. Was that something you proposed the get go or did you think, look, I, I've all run, I'll round up financing right away. I'm just sort of wondering what your safety net looked like when you made that decision. Uh, it's, uh, it's user base's outgoing CEO, Yusuke Umeda, who who's made the loan to courts and that, that came up in the middle of our negotiations, as we, you know, talked about how we could pull off a, a management buyout and ensure continuity of the business, knowing that we would be, you know, going out and starting fundraising efforts after uh, conducting the management buyout itself, and so wanted to make sure for everybody's sake that we had a, you know, stable business going forward. Which thankfully, uh, you know, Yusuke was 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 willing to to step up and, and ensure would happen. And I've also invested uh, my own money in the in the company, uh, and then all of that prior to our going out and, and getting uh, you know more significant investment to fund our future growth. So you you are a brainy guy who thinks about product, uh, news product, media product a lot. Um, that was sort of the hallmark of, of Quartz's early days was was you guys uh, experimenting with different kinds of, of ideas and publishing. Um, when when it came to moving into subscriptions, what did you what did you learn that you hadn't figured out over the I guess the preceding six eight or six years um, running Quartz is primarily an ad, ad based business. I mean, a whole lot, <laughs> but I, maybe the number one thing we've learned is a publication has to stand for something. 
if you're going to ask readers to step up and come along for the journey with with their money and 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 pay for 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 access you know in courts's case we stand for making business better we think that there are better approaches to how business is conducted, that companies ought to be held accountable for their impact on employees and customers and broader society. And, and that's how that's why we orient our coverage. And it's no coincidence that when we conducted the, the management bio, we also unveiled Make Business Better as our as our mission, because I think it's really crucial to be explicit if you're asking people to sign up for membership, uh, what they're signing up for. And you see that across the board, you know, that it's possible to Stay, stand for the truth, as in the case of the New York Times, or democracy, in the case of the Post. Um, for publications like us, I think you know more important to be more specific than that. Uh, and I think, in retrospect, I wish we'd been crystal clear about that from day one of the membership program. But it, it became clear to us that that would be important pretty quickly, and and, and so we've we've built that into the pitch uh, from for but a while now. To politely push back, um, it, w- it wasn't like you spent a bunch of years running Quartz and, and had no idea what Quartz was and, and, and what his proposition was, <laughs> right? Is this just a matter of sort of sharpening that pitch to a prospective subscriber, or are you changing the, the actual editorial product? Well, both. Uh, so yeah, 100% agree. I, I make Business Better didn't come out of nowhere. That has driven uh, a lot of our coverage uh, from, from the beginning of Quartz. But I, I do think we were shy about saying that explicitly um, and said positioned you know, the membership program entirely about access to the content, which of course is crucial. And then having done that, we've also, of course, constantly iterating on what, what it is you get for your money and trying to make sure that that's aligned with the with the mission as well. But yeah, no, no, there's no sharp right turn here on our uh, on our mission, nor would I recommend that for anybody. It's got to come from a, a real genuine place that's credible to readers or else that would never work. So one thing in your advantage is is your business publication and those sort of make the most sense or a lot of sense as subscription businesses, right? The Wall Street Journal uh, has a very longstanding uh, subscription business offline and, and a longstanding subscription business online. Uh, you have relatively new publications like Jessica Lessons, The Information, um, that have also found success. And there's an obvious reason, right? You Your business publications are either sold to individuals who are trying to make money and then can justify the expense that way or their employer is, is doing that. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of business publications asking for subscriber money. So how are you going to differ? How are you differentiating what Quartz is doing from everyone else? And, and why should someone pay for you instead of a journal subscription or getting a free morning brew newsletter for that matter? I, yeah, I remember when, when Quartz was launching in 2012, does the world need yet another business publication? It was probably the number one question we would, we would get uh, from from everybody. And I think if we were being honest, the answer is no. The world does not need just another business publication. And so we've focused on providing something I think quite different from what most of the publishers you just rattled off are are trying to do. Quartz is providing analysis of of global business with a focus on emerging markets, new technologies, uh, drawing connections between different industries and places in the world, and with a perspective, like I was just talking about, of business needs real reform and companies need to be held to account for uh, their impact on uh, more than just their their shareholders. We do not expect that someone 
is going to hold up the Wall Street Journal and courts and make a one-to-one comparison with which, they, which publication they sub- should subscribe to. We're not trying to provide breaking news um, or, or be comprehensive in our coverage of the uh, global economy. We're, we're trying to focus on what I was just talking about and do that really well for a younger audience of business professionals who tend to have the same worldview uh, as courts, and, and that worldview tends to differ from, from most of the established uh, business publications, uh, and be what The Economist would be if it were created in 2012 and not uh, 1847. Right. Know- That's the, 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 like the digital smarter, hipper, better designed version of The Economist is sort of how I thought about Quartz for a long time. And probably you guys had said that in 2012. Maybe not. Sure. Yeah. I think it's a fair comparison today. And and that makes sense if you're looking for someone to sort of, as a reader, it makes sense because I'm looking for a a sort of uh, smart synthesis of information. I'm Mm -hmm. smart. Um, The people who make the stuff are smart. Um, this is good. Uh, I can see why advertisers would want to attach themselves to it. When you move into a pay model, though, it seems like things get much more pragmatic um, and binary. Um, and making business better sounds like an aspiration that a lot of people would say, that sounds good. And saying, I'm going to subscribe to a publication that aspires to you know, be global and make business better is, is a harder pitch. So maybe a more practical way of asking is, what am I getting for my money when I subscribe to Quartz? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And, and, and you're absolutely right that the shift into subscription has forced us to be as practical and, and specific about that as, as possible. So uh, what you're getting for be- by becoming a member of Quartz is unlimited access to, to all of our journalism. And in addition to that, member exclusives, the the biggest part of which are every week we produce a field guide, uh, which is a deep dive on one particular topic that falls under our our coverage areas. You know, some examples uh, that have been really popular this year include how to build an anti-racist company, uh, the future of the H-1B visa in America, the second wave for uh, climate tech, you know, core coverage areas for courts all along, but where we're now providing really thorough deep dive coverage of that one of those particular topics a week and selling that to people, one who, for whom that is part of their business and, and work life, uh, in which case like the $100 a year we charge for the whole of membership is, is kind of cheap if that field guide uh, can be directly relevant uh, to what they're doing day-to-day at work. Um, and then two, to a broader reader base that maybe they're not working in climate tech, but they're really interested in that industry and, and perhaps draw parallels from what they're learning about climate tech to whatever they're they're working on. Um, what we hear from readers is that they love both of those things. They love it when it's directly relevant to what they do for work. And that's usually like what gets them over the hump to pay in the first place. Um, and then they love the stuff that's adjacent to their work because that, you know, I think anyone who's smart about business strategy today knows that you're often likely to find the best answers to what's next for your line of uh, work in other industries as much as you are looking looking inwardly at your own industry. So you're talking about like sharpening your focus, sharpening your pitch. What do you have to, to drop? What did you have to say goodbye to? Um, that was important to courts earlier in its iterations um, that doesn't make sense now or you can't support when you're trying to uh, narrow your pitch? 
there was a whole era there in the middle for digital media, and this really applied, I think, to all digital publishers that you might summarize as the Facebook era, mm-hmm. at, where we all grew the, that top of the funnel, the, the, the broadest, uh, highest level audience on the back larger Facebook traffic. And the incentives were such that there was some sprawl in our coverage. And so we began as a global business organization, uh, but incentives drew us to be a little more general interest over time in addition to the business coverage. And you know, I think it made sense for that era, but that era is over. And certainly as we're uh, building the membership business, it, uh, that stuff doesn't have any role. To so like play. what's, what's so, something you would have published in the Facebook era that doesn't get published today? Uh, a review of the new Fortnite release or maybe more first person essays. I mean, we do some of that still today, but, uh, but certainly a lot more in, uh, in, in that era or so-and-so photographer just posted this great video to Instagram. Here's the, uh, here's an embed of that, of that post with a with 100 words of, of context, uh, you know, those kinds of, of, of posts, which uh, to be, you know, I, it's easy for me to dismiss today. I think that was what was, uh, that met the moment, but certainly isn't relevant uh, in today's era. And then on the flip side, um, I mean, we just get the requisite Substack question out of the way now. Um, you know, your Substack and uh, versions of Substack springing up everywhere, where everyone doing these very niche publications, right? Literally one person usually um, uh, offering something to a hyper-targeted audience. Um, oftentimes it's business-related. How do you think about sort of Quartz's place in that landscape where some presumably there are quartz readers who say, you know, what I really care about is climate change and I'm going to subscribe to Dave Roberts uh, publication. And that's where my money's going to go. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, when we survey our, our readers, we're increasingly hearing that part of their reading experience and where some of their subscription money is going is to individual journalists and, and Substack and, and elsewhere. And, and just talking personally, I think that trend is great. Uh, more voices, more choice for consumers is good. I, I it would be a really sad outcome if uh, the rise of digital media just concluded with one or two big winners. The reason I and I think lots of people got into digital journalism in the first place is, uh, is for a multiplicity of voices and and just a, a better internet. But in terms of how Quartz thinks about it, I think vertical subscriptions have huge advantages in being, you know, having a clearly defined purpose. And we need to be clear about that too, including having some some vertical subscription offerings in addition to the broader membership proposition. So so we already have one uh, of those, which is Quartz Japan. It's a a Japanese version of the Quartz Daily Brief and, and some other content delivered via email that you know, we'd launched no coincidence when when we were part of a Japanese media company, but we still own that and are continuing uh, along those lines. And it, it already represents about 15% of our subscription revenue. In the new year, we plan to offer another vertical subscription offering uh, off of Quartz Africa, which has its own dedicated, really passionate following after five years. Uh, and who knows from there, but I, I, you know, I do think 
that Quartz's future and likely the future of subscription media in general is going to be a mix of those you know, broader subscription offerings where you're buying into the mission uh, of the news organizations as well as more vertically oriented uh, offerings like, like what we're cooking up uh, with Quartz Africa. We're going to take a quick break to hear from a sponsor and we'll be right back with Zach Seward. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I keep referencing you know, your your interest in product and experimentation, and I think a lot about you know talking to you and Kevin Delaney, your co-founder, when you guys launched, and over the years you, you were always sort of trying out different things. There was sort of a an interactive uh, chat slash choose your own story feature. It wasn't choose your own story. You would, you, you would interact through sort of a text message mm-hmm. uh, interface and Quartz would keep telling you more stories if you were interested in hearing about them. There was a light bulb you guys had internally that, that was hooked <laughs> up to your Twitter account. Um, you guys were very interested in adaptive design. What's the tension between sort of wanting to play around with new ideas and have a sandbox to experiment versus we have to convert X percent of our audience uh, to paying us money? Um, and do you have to give up sort of the, the, the lab concept that you guys sort of championed for a long time? No, I certainly don't intend to, because I, I think that experimentation is crucial for survival in, in digital media. When we set up courts in 2012, we launched with a website and a daily email and said explicitly to readers, we expect this thing to change over time and, and tried to set up courts to be a company that could quickly adapt as there would be changes in consumer habits and uh, to allow us to be ahead of those changes and, and out in front uh, with our offerings and then to move on if, uh, if we were wrong about that or that the trend didn't grow in, in the way that, that we expected. So you can't, can't do constant experimentation without that other part, which is being really great about moving on fast uh, to the next thing. But that experimentation has been the source of almost all of the durable, uh, great aspects of Quartz, starting with the Quartz Daily Brief uh, on on day one. And I guess I admit in the last two years uh, under our prior owners, there was less of that. And a thing I'm really excited by seems to be already happening in the month since we announced the management buyout is to get back into that editorial product innovation mode. Because it, it really drives not just the product side of things, but the editorial side. I mean, I, I think often missed about product innovation in, in media is that when you can come up with a bunch of chat bubbles uh, in, a, in an app and, and, and it's a novel experience, but that app was great because it had great writing. Or the Quartz Weekly Obsession email, which I think is you know held out as one of the best emails out there still today, you know has a novel design, and I think that's a crucial 
part of why it's a great email, but really it's a great email because it's, it's really written well. And we've got a staff who large, in large part are at courts because they love that kind of experimental work and got to thrive in it. And, and I can already see as we're working on some new product offerings for the new year that, that that's generating a lot of innovative approaches to the writing itself. Uh, and, and that's honestly more important at the end of the day than, than like the format uh, in which we're delivering the journalism. When you're an ad-based business, or at least when, when you get, you guys have always been an ad-based business, but I got the, I got that one of the, the benefits of this sort of innovative, you know, publicly innovative brand that you guys had was that advertisers wanted to be attached to it, right? Sounded good. And I guess I'm kind of asking a version of the question I already asked, but I'm assuming that that as you're moving to subscription, maybe the leash is shorter, um, that you're more likely to, to drop something um, more quickly if it's not working. Is that is that a reasonable assumption? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we dropped the chat app that that they're referencing mm-hmm. in order to focus on, on on other things and yeah i'm not saying you do it indefinitely but but that maybe um that maybe now you're like, again because you've got to convert me from a uh someone who's browsing to someone who's going to pay you and if you're trying something over an extended period of time and it's not working you, you're more likely to drop it yeah, sure yeah i think that i think that's fair um does that does that pain you at all or or uh, are you okay with that i'm gr- i'm great with that. I mean, honestly, I, I think that that's, uh, as I said, an important part of being experimental is, is knowing what's working, what's not, and, and be able to move on as, as fast as possible when it's not working. Um, it's also going to lead us to, like the, as I said, the more durable insights about what works are not usually the, the, the precise format, but, uh, um, but, but sort of a more deeper understanding about how readers understand the news. So, you know, the chat app comes back internally all the time uh, as we build new products that don't look like a text message conversation, but are still based on some of the concepts from that app that, that, that we learned from, from the readers who loved it. Like, you know, having some choice in the experience is helpful, uh, allowing people, you know, a fun and easy way to to navigate through some options about the news is, is helpful and, and beloved. And like that, that kind of stuff is we're pouring into a new product development now, even if it doesn't look like, as I said, a, you know, SMS and that, uh, that's the more important part of like experimenting in a, in a media company, I think then, um, and, and holding on to your darlings is, is a, is a big peril. And, uh, I wouldn't advise uh, anyone to, uh, to get too attached to something they create, especially on the internet, because it, it, it's undoubtedly going to take a different form pretty quickly. What is a darling that you created or were involved in didn't work, and you keep going back to it and thinking, oh, man, I, I think it <laughs> could work, or this should work. I don't understand why it's not working. Can we can we try it in a different format and a different iteration? Is there is there some sort of white whale for you there? <laughs> uh, there's a few, but maybe one... That comes to mind is Atlas, which is a charting tool that we initially built for ourselves and for our whole newsroom to use to make uh, charts and then opened up to the public to use the same uh, same tool set. We ultimately 
shut it down. I mean, the, all the charts from Atlas still remain, but uh, we don't, we're not allowing new charts to be, to be made because we didn't feel like we could support ongoing development of what was essentially a totally separate product and business. But in retrospect, I, I think there was a, a, an opportunity there and it would have needed to be spun off as its own business unit in order to thrive. And, and we've seen others step in and, and do a better job at that. A data wrapper, for one, is now the tool we use for, uh, for most of our, our charts internally. And I'm, to be clear, thrilled about that. I'd, I'd rather be focused on, on, on other stuff now. But if I had a redo, I, I, I feel like we would have spun off uh, Atlas as its own business unit and made a, a better run at, at trying to develop something bigger there. And do you think that that's a resource thing? I mean, you just said it's a resource thing. You, you couldn't build it out. Um, how much of that is resources versus we're early on an idea? Um, and if we'd just done this two years later or under different circumstances, it would have worked. I mean, honestly, I think in that particular case, it's the benefit of hindsight. I probably could have put um, resource against it then. Sometimes, sure, it's, uh, it's, it's about being early. You know, for instance, it's not just the, the chat app where we've experimented with trying to fit courts into conversational interfaces, whether that's like text conversation or uh, or audio, you know, on, um, like smart speakers, et cetera. And we're still going at that, but that's a you know that that those platforms have been slower to develop and become at least mainstream for news than I expected at the time. And so those are certainly cases of being you know a little early uh, to a trend. Um, you know, there was the Facebook era and that was sort of, uh, at the same time, there was the everyone else's, there was, there's going to be Facebook, but there's also going to be Snapchat and there's going to be, you know, Google had a stamp, something called Stamp, which is going to be its own version of stories and, uh, at Vox Media in particular, but a lot of places there was an effort to sort of reach out to those platforms, figure out how to work with them, how to be early into their experimentation, how to get money from them. Um, to fund a project um, that they would then distribute. Was Quartz ever involved in that? It doesn't seem like you guys sort of had those platform connections or, or aspirations. Uh, we did a little bit of it, but we tried to be, uh, we have definitely had all those connections. And, uh, and I think the biggest kind of partnership uh, we did was with Facebook around uh, Facebook watch shows. Uh, but, but like I said, we tried to be judicious because we, you know, really perilous to to take that platform money just because it's out there uh, if it's not aligned with like, a broader strategy. So we only did it in the cases where, you know, it would fit our, our broader strategy. Nowadays, I mean, to be honest, I would call out some of those platforms for really skewing back towards the, the biggest, you know, legacy publishers and you know, almost in essence trying to pick winners. Um, which is, to my mind, a perverse twist in uh, the rise of, of, of digital media, where you've got like Facebook cutting very large checks to you know, New York Times of the of the world. Um, basically, no, you know. Yeah, you had you had, you had Mark reasons. Zuckerberg. You had Mark Zuckerberg on stage with Robert Thompson announcing their 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 news product, right? Well, right, and that that's so surprising given you know how vocal Robert specifically and News Corp in general have been about. You know uh, about Facebook and 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 Google's role or, or, in the ecosystem, or maybe or maybe not surprising, right? He complained long enough and got what he wanted. 
Yeah, exactly. It made it made clear that the the complaints were entirely about uh, you know looking for uh, their 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 cut of uh, or you know, a large enough cut of revenue to to, to to shut up about it. And I get it, but those do seem like the motivation for those those kinds of of payments, and not not to my mind a particularly positive uh, trend in the last few years. So let's let's do some some forecasting uh, with the the acknowledgement that we'll get it all wrong or that you'll get it all wrong because I'm asking you, um, but I want to pick well, your brain. Anyway. This is not being recorded anyway. So no, 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 no one will hear this. We're in. We're we're out of the Facebook era. We're into the subscription plus anything that we can sell uh, era. At uh, a lot of publishers, <laughs> um, it makes sense. What does this look like in a couple years where everyone has tried a subscription product? Some people have succeeded. A lot of haven't. A lot haven't, right? It's just they can't all succeed. Um, where do you think digital media goes in three or four or five years, business model-wise? And it's a hard question to answer at, the, at that high level because I think the answer is always toward a variety of different models coexisting like that's true today and it was was in the past and it will be in three or four years so maybe i, I could answer it by um looking at some of the you know the newer trends where i think those go you know for instance you you, you mentioned uh the, the rise of Substack and, and independent journalists and going off on their own i i do expect that trend will continue but i i would expect it takes a lot of different forms you could you can look to other industries for for parallels here. I think uh, you know, for instance, think about stock tips. You know, there, there's always been big banks with analysts, uh, right, you know, providing in essence stock tips for uh, investors. And at the same time, there's long been a bunch of independent writers with pretty expensive newsletters you can subscribe to uh, to get stock tips as well. And in between those two models has also been the rise of the sort of boutique research firms. Uh, you know, your, your friend Rich Greenfield's a good example mm -hmm. uh, of of that. You know, that take all sort you know become all sorts of sizes, and you know the motivations in each case are quite different. There's huge advantages to being the you know, big bank, big corporation, um, and, uh, and and some advantages to being on your own and. But you still see those, you know, boutiques rise up as well because there's some safety in uh, in being part of a, a larger company, and there's some huge marketing power in building a brand that's bigger than than any individual. And so, all three of those models today for stock tips coexist, and I would expect the exact same thing to play out when it comes to say coverage of tech news, where you've got you know the big uh, players, some. Um, when you might call more boutique, uh, or uh, I suppose the the term of art would be trade media players, as well as independent journalists, and and those can, you know, I think, I mean, to be honest, I think some media commentary tends to portray these questions as like a debate, like it was one model better than the other, when in fact, you know, the reality is that they're 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 all likely to coexist, um, and I would expect. The independent journalism trend to to shake out in a similar way. Do you think about about market failure and and um, you know things like the local news desert, where we've been playing around digital media for for a couple decades now, and there doesn't seem to be a working solution. We've tried many different versions of it. Um, I'm assuming there's other there's other giant failures um, or other giant voids as well. And do you think about sort of why those things don't get solved? Sure, and I, I, I honestly, I think if I if I weren't 
doing this at courts would love to be involved in some of the efforts to figure out local news, local journalism as well. I, I mean, I think you've got it spot on. It's, it's a market failure and, and then there may not be quite the, the right economic incentives to support the kind of you know, accountability journalism in state and local government that we that we used to have in a more robust way in the US and so I like the shift to you know nonprofit funding there to address some of that market failure and it's interesting to see you know this year some new startups for-profit startups emerging with new answers to that question in a mix of email and podcast no surprise and I would bet that uh, one or more of those models takes off and, and addresses some of the issue with um, with local news coverage today. But it's a big, big problem and needs more than just market solutions to, to be addressed, I think. Let me bring this back to, to Quartz and what you're doing. Um, this is a very risky thing, right? You've, you've, uh, you're taking a publication that, that wasn't working for its last owner and trying to stand it up again. How long do you have to sort of figure out if you, you made the right bet? Was this something you would figure out in six months? Is this a year? How much time do you have to sort of go, yeah, we, 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 we got it? Or, whoops, we, 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 we misjudged this. <laughs> well, I think to be clear, we've got it. And we already know that. Uh, courts didn't fit for user basis plans that are very specific uh, to that, that company. And uh, that's their choice. But we've got uh, a really well functioning business already. But I, you know, if, if, if by this is going to work, you mean we're turning a profit, which courts has done in the past, uh, and uh, we plan to do in, in short order again, then you know, I think it's exactly that. We're looking at the balance sheet and uh, seeing they, uh, you know, our, our plan play out in the way we expect it to, which is we're uh, we're we're profitable in the next uh, in the next twelve months and uh, and and able to have create you know sustain created a sustainable business for for courts. We we're going to raise money uh, in the beginning of next year, but uh, I would hope to never go out and, and raise money again. And that that would be a I think an important shift and turning point for for courts uh, as we enter this next year is that we control our our own destiny. So you have one fundraising round instead of a, a succession of them. Yeah, I mean, famous last words. I'm sure I'll be yeah. back on when we've closed our Series C. But <laughs> uh, the but that is, that is certainly that is certainly our intent. Okay, Zach. Whether or not you raise a Series C, let's have you back in a year or so and 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 see how things have gone. Sounds um, good. Deal. You've been exceptionally patient with me. Um, I'm glad we were able to do this. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Peter. 